Hello, everybody. I'm here today with Michael Kluster. And Michael, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> so I've been on a month-long break, everybody. I'm going to scoot this microphone. Here we go. So I'm kind of out of uh, practice. You know, I haven't done this in about a month. Everybody's been busy in Nashville. Yeah. And um, nobody's been able to. You, uh, you are one of those people that have been really busy. Yeah, I've been um, crazy busy. It's what's, around. what's been going on? Um, travel, like I've been all over the place. Uh, we're a summer band, you know, playing the band Smash Mouth. Um, so uh, we do a lot of summer stuff. And um, last week uh, we played Disney, which was awesome. In you know, Orlando? Yeah, we do it pretty often. I think we've done it over seven times. And um, bring the kids and stuff, and it's absolutely amazing. Oh, my goodness. When I leave that place, I'm like, let's go. <laughs> Ready to go. <laughs> but the whole time I'm there, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Do you take your kids, or you yeah. just you do? Oh, that's yeah. right. And you have two kids. I have two kids. Yeah, two boys. I, I, the reason I know that is because I've seen videos on Facebook of like you guys built a skateboard. Yeah, man. yeah, we did. That was awesome. Yeah, first time I built anything of any substantial anything. So uh, yeah, now I'm all Mr. Builder. And I'm trying, to, <laughs> trying to build all kinds of things in my house. Oh no. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, yeah, it was great actually. And so you took them down there and you played. Seven days, did you say? No, we played... Um, or seven gigs. We played six gigs in two days. So we play like three half-hour things. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty crazy. It's hot and it's like tiring. But um, yeah. man, it's so rewarding. Like really, like we, we did the math. Uh, just our rooms and the passes that we get to we'll take our kids to the park is like six grand. Wow. They just, you know, just give it to us because we got to sleep somewhere. And like, I mean, yeah, I, I... Wonderful. It's it's a huge privilege. Uh, a couple of guys I play with on Broadway were there the day before uh, with Tiffany. <laughs> She's from out here, too. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so we do this thing every year. It's like a eat to the beat, I think they call it. And then there's a stage in the middle of Epcot. You play. Yeah. Well, Smash Mouth is a great party band, I think. Yeah, like, that's why make, we do really well there. And I bet kids love you. Mm-hmm. I know people my age love you. Yeah. So, I mean, I would think that it would be... Um, We're a lot of people's first band, you know, and the Shrek thing definitely cemented that. And right now, we have a kind of a, a resurgence of, like, 25-year-olds that were the kids that watched the DVD every single day, you know, they were like at that time and um right. so yeah it's pretty it's pretty insane like how and then there's the whole all-star thing which i don't know if you've kept up but it's like the meme center of youtube <laughs> and it's like it's crazy to see um a song become almost as culturally important as like rudolph the redness reindeer or something it's not just some song from the 90s right. or technically the 2000s but it's it's more it's just become this thing it's it's pretty weird did Definitely you? not planned. <laughs> <You know. laughs> right? Yeah. Did you? Are you a co-writer on any of these songs? Um, I did. I did co-write some stuff, but mainly um, Greg Camp, our guitar player, wrote all of the Smash Mouth material. Okay. Um, and is he the singer as well? No, he is a guitar player. Okay. Um, he uh, he has a really cool way. He very much comes with complete songs, but he's oh. super democratic. He'll be like like he'll be leave a hole open for a solo or he'll like do your thing to this like super nice guy but mm-hmm. at the same time um like I say very complete ideas definitely there's no gray area between him writing the song or not and everybody writes to a certain degree um <clears throat> but 
it always worked where he was the best, and everybody, everybody would maybe, you know, Paul would have a two on the bass player would have two on the record, and I would end up doing some co-writing, and then, um, but mainly it would be great songs. Okay. Yeah, and it's always been okay. And Steve doesn't really write, he's more of a performer, singer, he's more of a performer, so okay. it's always just kind of worked that way. And he's the lead singer. Yeah. And so, are they, have they been longtime friends? Um, so... So my, you write for him? Um, you know, so like, I mean, we've been doing this for a long time. Um, for me, I started in 97. I was actually, so I was a little bit of a late addition where uh, they didn't have keyboards and they did a record, the first record, and if you remember the song Walking on the Sun, mm-hmm. yeah. was uh, the, the hit song. So to, to kind of barrel through the Smash Mouth story that I've told eight billion times. <laughs> um, so they're from San Jose. I was working at a studio in the Bay Area and uh, I had done some production stuff with this guy named Eric Valentine. Um, and uh, so Eric... He was in Redwood City. That he was recording their record. They just like borrowed money from their manager and were doing an independent thing. And um, but they had a couple little interesting things. So um, they had done one record before, uh, which uh, got some attention because they had a buddy named Carson Daly, who I'm sure you've heard of, yeah, uh, MTV darling um, guy. So he was a DJ in San Jose, and he was their friend. And so they had done some early recordings. And it got, and he put them on the radio at a, a KOME in San Jose, and um, it kind of got them a lot of attention. And they got on the cover of this magazine called Bay Area Magazine or BAM, which isn't around anymore, but it used to be. And um, they uh, it got them a bunch of attention, but nothing happened. Like they kind of got it to the labels, nobody bought into it. Um, in the meantime, they uh, had met a producer, the manager had heard about this dude Eric Valentine who was doing stuff in the area. And so they borrowed some money and they went in for two weeks and they made a new record with him. And um, at the last minute, uh, it's mostly kind of ska punk. Again, no keyboards, maybe a couple little sparkles here and there. Mm-hmm. But at the last minute, the first, the original drummer uh, insisted out of this box of Greg's four-track tapes, the song Walk on the Sun, he's like, we got to do this. Mm-hmm. And... And they weren't going to do it. Nobody was interested, but he sort of, come on, we got to do this. So they did it, and uh, Eric Valentine added, like, all these 60s organs. So that wasn't really in the original treatment of Greg's. Okay. Um, but that's kind of what happened. It kind yeah. of took a 60s turn. and um, Sounds like Farfises or something. Yeah, it is a Farfise. Okay. And it's got the genius, like, when you turn it off and go, do you remember that? At the no. end of the solo? So at the end of the solo, the very last note, how do you get out of a Farfisa solo? Because it's like dead stop. Right. So if you turn the power off on a Farfisa, it makes this up sound. But then he, of course, compressed it and really accentuated it with the delay. And it's like, it's a, it's a genius ending. And in fact, the funny thing is that no 60s recorder I've ever heard has that sound. What? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. It's like a little glitch of how the Farfisa works. And okay. Whatnot. Um, and now so, i got to go listen to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so long story short... Um, they do this recording with Eric, and uh, in the meantime, Carson had gotten a job at uh, K-Rock in L.A., and and he's kind of on his way to becoming like MTV guy. Um, and by the way, Carson is exactly who he seems to be, and he's one of the coolest people I've ever met. He's a super great person. Good to know. Um, yeah. So he, um, 
so they finish this record and they send it down to their buddy and he's like living with the program director and he's you know he's the little darling over there and uh he plays his friend's cd for the program director and the guy is like puts walking on the sun radio the next day like they're not signed or anything and it the the what do they say the dashboards lit up and, and like it just was a hit overnight Wow. Next day, they had every label. It was just a, so they immediately needed a keyboard player. Okay. So that's kind of my involvement. Came in. So Eric called me and was like, and back back in those days, like I would, I kept missing him. I would go to the studio and like this guy Eric's calling you, and and I'm like, okay, you know, they've gone like almost like a week and a half. So he did a short run with them. He's not really a keyboard player; he's more of a drummer, but plays, he produces, so he plays. And um, he okay. went on a short run with them. And was calling me from like pay phones the whole time, and I kept missing him. And at some point, it was like no big deal. And I was like, "Dude, this guy's calling me, and I keep missing him. Like, I'm gonna whatever he's calling me about, I'm gonna miss this whatever's going on." And um, and it finally, I was there at the same time he was, and uh, he was like, "Do you want to do this thing?" And I was kind of like, I was doing a lot of other stuff, like more on the production side, and I was kind of like, I don't know. And I remember my buddies, I went out for drinks with them in San Francisco and I was telling them like this band Smash Mouth wants me to go out with them and they were like I was like I don't know if I want to do that you know it's like I could uh, walking away from my situation at the studio and like whatnot and they're like dude just come back if you don't like it and I'm like oh maybe <laughs> <laughs> and then I went and literally within two weeks we were like okay we're gonna be on Letterman and you know what? we ended up I've been on Leno more than any other band ever I think I've been on it nine times. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And it's just, and it just sort of was just like, that's it. Just wow. All of a sudden, bam, here you go. And you liked it immediately, pretty much? Yeah. Yeah, I did. And then, well, luckily for me, um, we, you know, I had sort of a small role, but I was just kind of checking it out. I mean, the parts of the song was big, but the rest of the stuff, I was just kind of filling in and doing whatever I wanted because there wasn't really keyboards for that stuff. But yeah. the second record, which is the one with All Star on it, was basically taking Walking on the Sun and expanding it into an entire record. So okay. the entire record is just keyboards everywhere. It sure is. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, when we were going to talk uh, maybe a month ago, I don't know, I listened to the whole thing, you know, again, and I hadn't heard it in, I don't know, two or three years. Yeah. But I lo- it was one of my favorite records yeah. of that time period. It's an incredible record. Actually. I love it. Yeah. I love that record. And so I've been listening to it last night and today, too. Right. And, like, even the beginning of the of Astro Lounge, you know, there's a synth part. Uh-huh. It opens that yep, whole yep, record up. Yep. Like a interspatial, yep. I don't know. That's actually, <laughs> um, so Greg's brother is also a synth guy, and he did that song. That's That was his his get to come in the studio. And he's more of a programmer type guy, not necessarily like a key player. Okay. But he brought a Moog Liberation in. And uh, now all the sci-fi effects and stuff were from him. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Well, there's a lot of them. Yeah, I think. there's Tom, that song in particular. There's that's kind of what he does, and he filled it quite up, but, space sounds and <laughs> whatnot. Right. I mean, that was kind of the theme. It's very '60s. You know, Astro Lounge is the name of the record, and it's yeah. very much that. You know, '60s. Yeah. There's there's you know Bossa Nova tune on there, and there's like a lot of Casios, and we'd go to the toy store and just buy. Like anything that made noise. You're kidding. And you use that kind of stuff. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. Okay, so let me just ask you about some of the sounds. Um, what's the one, um, Let a Good Thing Go to Waste? Oh, God, I love that song. Me too. You've got a little thing in there that's like, doo-loo, doo-loo, doo-loo. Oh, yes. Um, that is a toy. Uh, um, that's like a toy telephony thing 
but that's definitely one of those things. <laughs> yep. That is great. Yep, that's a perfect example of that kind of stuff. We'd ah. just go and buy it. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and it's so nice yep. the way that it's used. Yep. It's really subtle. You know, that's one of those those that record. I can completely like vibe out on it, and and like you know, two minutes later, I forget that I wasn't really listening close. Right. But that my mind is like in this really much better place. Yeah. It's like you can. It's it's a complete raise your vibration. Record. That may be my favorite Smash Mouth song. And, um, I use the uh, lyrics as an example when discussing with other artists about. Um, um, how's it go? Uh, I'm mopping up the floor with messy recipes of romance. <laughs> yeah, that's how you write lyrics. Like yes. <laughs> that's isn't it great? <clears throat> yeah, it's like that's yes. Because it's like you see you see the 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 janitor sweeping up after the school dance, but it's all of those are story. I mean, it's just it tells a story. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> and uh, yeah. So the other thing that I got to do on that that I thought was really interesting was um, we ran a Hammond through a Moog, but audio-wise, and then we set the filter to the keys. So instead of doing like a filter knob thing, so I'd hold the chords out, and then I would sweep the, the Moog. So as I went up and opened the filter, as I went down and closed the filter, through like a bunch of delay and stuff. So if you listen to it again, you'll hear that. It was like, almost like I'm doing a draw bar thing, right. but it's actually running through a filter. And what tune is that? Waste. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. It's pretty subtle, but it's in there. And it was one of my favorite things to do. Okay. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of organ. Um, a lot of organ. There's a, there's a reggae tune. Um, yeah, uh, da, Roadman. Well, there's Roadman. I don't know. Yeah, no, not that one. Although uh, that one's what's great. What's the other reggae song? <laughs> He's crushed by his sound system. Um... Oh, there, there, I mean. What do you do? Oh, yes. God, it's been a long time. Uh, Your organ is like, wow! Yeah. And, but it only comes in on like beat four. So right. Something crazy, every other measure kind of thing. There's a lot of space. It's been so long. In the I don't record. Re- I remember. What song is that? Uh, yeah. Is it. Uh, oh, 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 oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And we did that. That was a move layered with probably a synth. You know? Okay. Do a lot of that too. Yeah. Um, and Eric's got some interesting things. Mostly it's like M3s. He didn't really, I don't remember him having an actual B3 at the time, but he had his entire place all quarter inched. So any organ could go to any guitar amp out of the guitar amp into a Leslie. So he can get any kind of overdrive he wanted. Okay. And yeah, it was really cool. We'd, he'd spin out. Wow. There were times I would just sit there and clean up his control room. Yeah. While he just, he just dirty now. I have a buddy, he did my friend's record, Citizen King, which is a, they had that song, I've seen better days. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah, it was yeah. yeah. hit back then. And uh, Love that my song. friend Christian was, he was doing an upbeat part, eight hours. Whoa. <laughs> Eric spent eight hours wow. on an upbeat part. Oh, wow. And it was like putting mics into cutting up 7-Up bottles and, you know, just weird wow. stuff. Yeah, he's, he's a nut. That's awesome. And he's though. kind of a genius, too. He's, in fact, when he did the first Smash Mouth record, he had done Third Eye Blinds, also independently unsigned, back-to-back. And that's why it was like, he was like, I got to go do this, you know? So subsequently, he ended up moving down to L.A. He's got a great spot down there, and he's done 
lot of great, great records. Queens of the Stone Age, one with David Grohl drumming. Mm-hmm. He was a big yeah. part of that and a bunch of other stuff. Wow. Yeah. So what a, I guess, um, an honor to work with him? I oh, mean, yeah, for sure. Do you, do you want to back up and just like kind of give a brief sure, like <laughs> autobiographical mean, run? Right. Of yeah. I mean, I didn't mean to just jump right no, into that. But, yeah. Um, we can come back to it, too, if no, you want to. No, I think we covered it. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're probably like... When you you're still playing some of those songs, probably yes, very and much. so it's your concepts probably have evolved over the years of how you want to handle things. I don't know. I don't know what right. that's like, um, but um, if you want to start at the beginning, sure. Just like so, I jumped right into it, folks. But you know, I told you I was rusty. We haven't done this in a while. <laughs> hey, it's more exciting that way. Um, uh, so where were you born? I was born in a place called Stockton, California. Okay. Um, it's actually where Dave Brubeck. Went to college. Oh, that's nice. So they have a, a, it's called the University of Pacific. It's a private school, and they have, uh, still to this day, the Brubeck Institute is over there, which is a wow. kind of accelerated jazz course. It, it really did wonders for our town because there's, um, Stockton's kind of a crazy place. It has a crazy history, and without dwelling on all that stuff, all my Stockton fans will be like, yep. Um, <laughs> they, they had, they've always had a strong jazz. What do you know? Yeah, and um, it's really great, really great. Um, so I was born in Stockton. Um, I'm adopted and, uh, I, my dad's like a six ten Dutchman and that's how different my world is. But when I was a kid, I was always beaten on stuff and like I even figured out rudiments like as just a little kid and they were just always like, stop, you know? So when it came time to play in fourth grade, um, I wanted to play drums and they were kind of like, no, that's too loud and oh, too crazy. No. And the funny thing is, is that when you play drums, you get a rubber pad. So like, as a secondary, I was like, well, I'll play trumpet, and uh, which is loud <laughs> and annoying. <laughs> More loud than the drum pad. Yeah, exactly. So um, I did that kind of whatever. I didn't really care about it. Um, my only, well, interestingly enough, all this time, my keyboard experiences were I never took any lessons. Uh, to this day, really, but uh, but as a kid, my grandma had a piano, and I used to dork around on it. Both my grandmas did. One grandma had a piano with stickers, kind of kind of like that, but <laughs> but they were uh, like red, 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 or green, green, green. Every other one, so kind of you could see that those were the chords, you know. Oh, so I used to like sit around and write songs or like progressions, let's say. Oh wow! But so I didn't cool. care about it. I never like walked away. Go man, maybe I should explore this more. I was just doing it while I was at my grandma's house, and then I leave. You know. Oh wow! You know that's such an impactful thing, though. That those if those stickers hadn't been there, I know what would have happened. Those, I you? mean, I clearly remember them to this day. Yeah, they were huge, and and I would remember like going, ah, that's not right. Like I'd have a something in my head, you know that, and I would work it out until I got it and stuff like that. And and then my aunt had an organ, like a Baldwin or some kind of. With all the switches, and um, I, I used to just make like weird noises, <laughs> which is like exactly kind of what I'm into. Is like kind of sound designing, weird noise, synthy stuff, and playing, yeah. you know. And yeah. Um, but again, I didn't care about any of that stuff. I just did it, and I played trumpet, and kind of just went through the motions with that too. In band in school. Yeah, at school band, and I hated marching. Um, I had a terrible experience in seventh eighth grade where my teacher. We didn't have a marching band. He really wanted one, so he got some like neighborhood lady to make these ridiculous uniforms, and <laughs> they were they were bad. And I hated. I just kind of hated the whole thing. So anyway, I go to high school. My high school has kind of a somewhat of a world famous jazz band. I mean, I don't want to put them up there like 
they're they're but they're big. They're known, and we would travel a lot and stuff. And so I did march the first year, and then I got in jazz band. And I sort of quit that, except my teacher would sometimes, like when important things would come on, he goes, you know what? I need you. You're marching. <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go get some black shoes. <laughs> um, and this is all trumpet stuff. All trumpet, yes. Okay. Um, and I used to, um, you know, I would always screw with the keyboards and the drums, like, you know, when we come to class. And, of course, you know, with 30 kids in the class, we better stop, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, so. Jazz is hard to read. So, don't you think? Jazz is hard to read? Yeah, the charts are hard to read. I mean, the rhythms are really Everything's intricate. hard about jazz. Yeah. Jazz is kind of like my, I, I work on it and I study it. I would not consider myself an aficionado in any way, but it's sort of my life thing. Like, I'll always try. <laughs> you know? Gotcha. And, a um, theme, like an underlying theme? Yeah. Did, were you good at improvising? Yes. Yes. In fact, I remember him, I remember going to Mr. Juan, Mel Juan's um, house, like in the summer this year, I was going in a jazz band, and he showed me the blues scale. And it was like, and then I went up and down a few times, and then, and then I started doing it at home, to, uh, I always had like a little Casio too. So even though I didn't care about playing, I sort of still played. And Keep then I was me. like into hip hop, so I would just learn all the bass lines for the songs I liked. And they're all kind of on the blues scale. And yeah. So that kind of became familiar. But long story short, like I was doing trumpet and my senior year, so I'm really, really good at math, and I was going to be an aeronautical engineer. And I had no visions of, like, this, anything about music, you know. And uh, my senior year, I started hanging out with this guy, Jeff Texon, who's a sax player. And he's, and he's sort of, like, his dad, like, plays guitar. He grew up around it. And he's, like, he plays all the instruments. And he's kind of a child prodigy. And um, so he asked me my senior year to join a funk that he's, like, an earth, wind, fire, tower power. more Almost more tower power, but, like, you know, that kind of stuff. And I was like, I remember thinking, like, you know, that would be fun to do before I go to college. Like, one, you know, say I was in a band at one point. Well, he had a keyboard um, for all the keyboard people. I usually wouldn't have this, but a Yamaha SY22, uh, <laughs> which was the one that had the joystick where you can morph the four tones. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was part of... I, I get to say this stuff, and people actually might get it out there. Uh, yeah. It was... The, one of the first keyboards where they were using sampling for the first time, but it still had uh, uh, FM synthesis. So it was a combination between samples and FM synthesis. Okay. But regardless, it had drum sounds. So okay. after practice, we'd just hang out, and I would just make drum beats. And like, and I would put delays on them. And, and then they were kind of like, hey, you know. Did it have a sequencer on it? Like, or it a, didn't. How did you record this? I would just play them. Oh, okay. But okay. then uh, I soon after that, in fact, my senior year, my parents bought me a nicer kind of Casio that had like these drum sounds, and I bought an Alesis separate sequencer, and I started sequencing at home. I never even told Jeff, and one day I finally showed him, and I've been doing all this stuff. But um, so that's kind of where I got into it. But uh, they were just kind of like him and this guitar player. You know, we'd just be hanging out, and they're like, "Well, why don't you just here's some chords? You know, you play this chord while we jam this stuff." And so, and then. It was like a revelation to me. It was like, wow, I can do this stuff. I could kind of play fast, um, and I could do it. And mm-hmm. it, and then I just got really into it. And then, and then at some point, I kind of like thought I was sort of figuring it all out. And then I remember meeting this other great pianist, Judy Owens. She was a teacher at another high school, and she kind of clued me in. And it was sort of like she almost kind of 
put me down in a sense, not in a mean sense, but in a sense where it was like, wow, you know, I had these small concepts down, but she showed me like how, how much I didn't know that I didn't even really realize. Yeah. And that's when I started getting a little more serious, you know, like studying and stuff. And so okay, that's kind of self-taught, like studying pretty on much, your own. Pretty much. How would you? How did you go about teaching well, yourself? Um, okay, so let's say pretty much because so I was fortunate. So after that, I started going to a community college, and there was a um, between Jeff and Judy. Um, also, there was a teacher over there. This guy Bob Secor. And I still kind of played trumpet, too. Like, I play in the, the night jazz band. I wasn't good enough to play piano in the night jazz band, but I'd play trumpet. But I would start Bob Secor, like, definitely, he's a theorist. He's a p- amazing piano and trumpet. In fact, he kind of plays it all at the same time. And, like, oh my he's, gosh. A, he's a great musician. And he, um, he kind of, he also had, like, a jazz improv course. And he kind of just... Like, I kind of understood theory from my friends, but he's the one that sort of, like, defined it mm-hmm. to me. Like, when I think about theory, I usually think about him. But also, I met this other guy named Donnie D, who was older than me, and he's just this amazing, like, R&B singer, keyboard player, and we became friends. So between, like, these people kind of showing me, and then, uh, I'm, again, I'm a math-oriented guy, so I don't really, uh, don't really read all that well. Um, I mean, I read like fake book stuff, but I, I mostly am just sort of smart about what I'm supposed to do. And then I, and I'm rhythmical right? and then I try to, hopefully the rest will kind of come together. <laughs> right. So he gave me, um, uh, Johnny Mahagan. Do you know that? Yeah. I it's love a, that. Uh, it's a book. Yeah. Four um, series of four books. Okay. And he was a teacher at Juilliard. I feel like I have one of his books, but oh, I don't know do. where it is. Um, paperback. Yeah, I feel like I do. Um, so it's a series of four books? It's a series of four books. And what I love about them is that... Um, so the first one, what he did, he was a, he was a uh, Juilliard professor. And at that time, you know, like Miles went to Juilliard. But they were run, they were very strictly classical. You wouldn't like get to play jazz. By the way, Dave Brubeck so had to sneak around at that school in Stockton to play jazz at night because they wouldn't like, let you. And my Kayla tells the same story yeah. in Kansas City. Right. It was, it was taboo, you know? Crazy. Crazy. Wow. Now it's like what they do. Yeah. Um, so anyways, what I love about John Mahega was perfect for a math guy. First, what he did was he made a numeral system that's super simple and super genius. Um, and, it, and it's good enough not... it's. It's basically like, uh, I mean, you know it, but the, some of the ways he would do it, like a flat six X, X is dominant. And like, it was a simple language that he made, but it would cover all of jazz. I mean, one of the first sentences goes, every time you see a chord in jazz, it's it's implied four notes because anything less than that is insufficient for jazz. Now you could do it at some point, but for the most part, you just assume everything, if it's got a seven on it at least, or a nine and whatever. So, and then the first book just breaks down into Roman numeral, tons of tunes, and it gets you going on arpeggios and, you know, playing voicings in your left hand. Uh, and at that point, root voicings and then arpeggios and just gluing it all together, you know? Okay. So that was a concept. Okay, I can do that. I can do that to every tune. Keep working on it, you know? Okay, so rudiments. Yeah. Technical. Rudiment, rudiments that lead you to improvisation. Okay. You know? And pretty quickly. So. Yeah, exactly. And then um, the second book... Uh, goes into, if, if I'm correct, it goes into melody. And then he transcribes a bunch of solos. 
and then and he compares them to it. But the other thing he does that to me as a producer has always been a huge thing to me. He broke down the jazz eras into rhythmic symbols. So like what instrument would have a whole note or a half note? Mm-hmm. What instrument would pulse at a quarter note like the bass and jazz? But it would change over the years and he would go through the years and then after the quarter note, then like eighth note, or would it be a swung or would it be a bunch of triplets? And it would be like, you know, at some point in the Dixieland, it would be like the clarinets would be on the, the eighth notes and then the, the trombone would be on the half notes and then, you know, this kind of thing. And and it's not necessarily a set in stone thing, but it basically breaks down like the, every part of the band is sort of existing in a different rhythmical layer yeah and then so you can apply that to anything even if you're working on a rock band if i got this guy doing this and that guy doing that and i'm looking for another part it's like well okay he's on technically the eighth notes he's kind of doing a quarter note thing i could either add 16ths or i could add a whole note under it you know like and to me that always um, made a ton of sense right um and it, and, it, and watching it evolve over time it kind of makes it understand like the different genres and styles and what happened you know yes and then um number three he goes into um uh more modern jazz and he starts doing what's called a form b form which i don't know what a lot of people call it but it's like you know the uh two five one but you're f major seven on the d and then the g13 i think you know that kind of stuff like he calls it a form b form and you just literally memorize all those positions. Okay. And then and then you right. apply the arpeggios to that. Now you're soloing over those voicings instead of the voicings. But he breaks down each monumental change. Like he goes through a stride piano and Art Tatum. Mm-hmm. He goes through Bud Powell and how he changed it to sevenths and thirds. He calls them shells. Um, still working on that one. Thirds and sevenths are weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. So, um, that Are you talking about like just the playing the tritone? Like just. No, like Bob Powell's whole thing was like doing this. Yeah. And and then the right hand is where it gets really interesting because he's filling out the chord and playing melodies, which has always been another thing that's very hard for me. I'm still trying to put all that together. Okay. That's hard. Yeah. 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 I always think of it as like playing piano. There's three jobs, and you're trying. And there's different ways to balance those three jobs with two hands. There's bass, there's chords, and there's melody. Right. And so, like stride, you get your bass and your chord in one hand, your melody. But with Bud, it was more like bass and chord through these shells. Well, the chord was spread amongst both hands with the melody tinkling on top. Yeah. You know, yeah. Right. Melody is like in your third, fourth, and fifth fingers. Yes. And you exactly. gotta grab chord notes with your thumb and your second finger of yeah. your right hand. That stuff's tough. It is. Yeah, especially to maybe get on one song is like, but to be able to do it and then like one of the he goes over George Shearing. I just knew you were gonna say him name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the yeah. chords are part of, of the melody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know he he had these scales. That's where it would be like, awesome. you know, on a C6, you would, your hand would basically hit some combination of C, E, G, and A, but then, like, say, Cs would be in the octave, and then you go up to D, you're still kind of on the same chord, and you go to E, and then you shift them over a little bit, but you're never not playing in C6. But then you got to do that for the next chord, and then the next chord, and the next chord. And right, right. Like scales, you know? Yes. Yeah. Clusters, like, yep. almost. I'm hoping to get that before the arthritis... <laughs> so you were, when you have in all your spare time which I'm sure is just so much haha right. you're working on these things still. I am I'm still working awesome. a lot um, I you know what the way that it you know 
I never, you know, when I was doing the studio stuff, I knew I could play and stuff, and I knew that it would be a part of my life, but I never envisioned myself being like a professional pianist because I didn't, I skipped so much. But, so I feel like a part of me is always trying to catch up while a part of me is trying to move on mm-hmm. and enjoy what I do, and it's like, I guess that's what my whole thing is, you know, what I'm trying to figure out. For it all ends, I guess. <laughs> you know, I would say, I mean, I, I hear you, but I bet probably most of us that are trying to do this are feeling the same way. Oh, yeah. Like, you're getting, like, last night I played nine tunes on the Soul Vibes show. Mm. And, I mean... Oh, let me ask you how that went, yeah. I've been meaning to do that as well, and I've been unavailable. Yeah, I hope you can. Um, it was fun. It was really fun. But, um, you know, there's aspects of it that I want to do better, and then, but there's parts that I feel like I'm doing great. And so, it's like, you know, just relax, have fun. But then there's that little, the, the stuff, there's always something that's challenging. Yeah. Which, I mean, gosh, it would be so boring if it wasn't like that. I, I remember when, okay, like, I remember sort of having a small mind about everything and, like, kind of thinking that, like, for instance, like, being, as a young player, being bored with blues, but not really understanding that you have no concept of the the intricacies of this actual art form. Like, yeah, you can play the blues. We all figure out how to play blues in a, in a year yes. to a certain degree. And and sort of feeling like like that, that soon I'll be done with all this basic stuff and I'll move on to the, the bigger stuff. And what I've learned through my life is that I'm still literally working on a lesson one, like a Johnny Mahagan. I'm still literally looking, learning and working on that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it never goes away. Right, and then you and then you apply another style, and that's where I think it gets really interesting. Like, you know, like what works, what you know, what skills you have in a certain style may not apply to another style. Even though you you're a good player and you understand what those guys are doing, yeah, you can't always just walk in and do it, imitate it, right? Yeah, right. When it gets more, the, I mean, the more you can listen closely, it's all about listening. The more subtleties you'll hear. Yeah. In any kind of hit record, there's a reason why it's a hit record. You yeah. Know, there's something that's magical. That's happening. Right. And in my opinion. But, sure. Um, and, you know, when I have a student who's really interested in studying music and really can do it, I always tell them, I feel like music is really so worthwhile to spend your life doing for that very reason. Yep. You'll never exhaust the things you can learn. You know? No. I mean, if you're serious about it being good, like, you're... You're screwed the rest of your life. You're terrible. <laughs> you know, even though you're not. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to a life of, of uh, always having to improve. Yeah. And then you get a little comfortable and somebody comes along and is doing it a different way. You're like, man. I love the, I love, you know, I lived in LA for like eight years and I absolutely love living in there. But one of the things as a keyboard player I really like, I like that it's more uh, organ around here. It's more organic. Mm-hmm. Um, and like for instance when we go to the jams and stuff like Kara's Jam like how you know all of us B3 guys will hang out and, and you watch each guy play yes. and it's like everybody does it's like the same instrument always sounds different and everybody does all these yeah. things that like sometimes it's like oh, man like I, I beat myself up <laughs> about it but at the same time I'm like so happy to be watching somebody do because I'll go home and I'll be like it'll make me think about it man I gotta do it like he does a little better or, yeah. or you know I gotta incorporate that you know like right. how they move the draw bars I just I, I think it's really cool that there's a camaraderie around it I totally agree yeah I went out last night and heard Mo set yeah um, I wish I could have made that too I got home last night yeah I figured 
Um, and of course, he he is a wow. He he does amazing things with the draw bars. He does. He really he knows yep. so many different tones. Yeah, he's got a and vocabulary. He does, yep. and uh, he does really appropriate, tasteful things for each song, you know. Yep. And when they they know when he's going to build into the big shout chorus, you know, he mm-hmm. does that masterfully. Yes, he does. <laughs> and uh, his set was great last night. And then you know, Brett Sandler played, and he he's, was, awesome. he's been on the show, and Kieran good yep. to have played. Yep. And I got to play. Dan played. Yep. You know. Dan's was, awesome too. Yes. You're awesome. Well, it was fun. It was really good to to hear everybody. It's, yeah, it is. It's cool, man. It's like, and there's no egos. And it's like, how can you really have an ego? I mean, in a keyboard world, like, well, we'll just let's we'll go put an Oscar Peterson record on, and then we'll all feel like shit. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I mostly right now get mad at. I watch Bill Evans on YouTube and just. Like, put the knives away, Dad's listening to Bill Evans again. I mean, the depth of that dude is just insane. Yes. You know? Yes. There's no end. Kind of Blue is one of my, I mean, I love that. I never get, I never get tired of this, listening yeah. to that along with Astro Lounge. I'm serious. Yeah. Like, both no, of them. I agree. I love them both. I agree. I'm a, I'm a music guy like that, too. Like, I, you know, everything has its place and, like, to... I always, I always say that because, you know, people will come and say, well, what kind of music do you play? Well, I'm a keyboard player, so we have to play everything. How can you not? You know, like, you can't sit there and just... Uh, I remember meeting, a, in my dumber days, meeting a guy in the Bay Area that was in some kind of hip at the time, indie band or whatever it was, and he just, just did sin stuff. And I was talking to him, I'm like, do you like play like jazz? Or he's like, nah, man, I just... It was just so weird to me. It's like, I mean, I love doing sin stuff and creating sounds and just being that kind of person but like the idea that you don't groove out like right this is weird <laughs> like, why would you not do that i think you would get kind of tired of it i would yeah. at least i'm yeah yeah i would totally get tired of it i mean yeah i like to play yeah. i really do like so is that why you ended up not doing aeronautical engineering yeah <laughs> you know you so play? i was in college and i started taking theory for myself like even though like that's like a four semester course and it kind of puts you on the track to be a music major, I was still taking physics and um, and uh, you know higher end math uh, calculus and stuff like that. And man, I remember. So you know you get a practice room, or you have a key, you have access to the practice rooms. And I remember playing so much that I literally would look and I'd go, "Oh my God, six hours just went by." Wow. And I um, playing piano. Yeah, just playing. And I would wow. miss my classes. And I oh, wasn't wow. even being a jerk. I was just like, <laughs> I just literally forgot to go. And I was so enthralled. And um, I started thinking about that a lot. And um, strangely enough, there's a there's an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, which are you a fan of that? Yeah. Okay. Like Have you ever seen the one where, um, it's actually kind of a, a famous one, where he gets zapped by the satellite and then he lives an entire life on this planet. The whole thing was that the planet was dying, so the only thing they could do was make this satellite and, and make somebody live with them so that their memory would last because they were their right. the, their planet was dying and couldn't grow anything. Yeah. So yeah. Anyways, he ends up having children. Right. Like this and he lives his entire life and his son, his daughter is like the science guy with him and his son's like flip flopping through stuff and and he's like, well, I want to be a musician. He's like, well, you wanted to be something last week or I want to be something this week and he goes, yeah, because but music's been through it all. And I literally decided 
that night. That, wow. That, that at least that was where I was going to head. And then what I did was, because I wasn't really going, yeah, well, I'm going to be a fucking jazz god that I've been playing for four years, you know? Like, uh, I was like, but I'm good at math, so I made sure I stayed in technology as well. Gotcha. You know, so I did, I kind of went the studio path. That makes total sense, and it's smart. Um, did, so where did you get your first studio job? Uh, a place called Music Annex. Um, I, uh, I went for a short time to a recording school that a guy was renting space out of there and I, and I didn't, I was too slow. I already kind of knew this stuff. Not that I'm some expert, but it was just, there was just too many basics going on. And, but I, but I met the people at the studio and I started interning over there. And then, um, this guy, Charlie Albert kind of brought me in as a, a sound designer and he was doing, um, uh, like video early video game stuff and oh, wow. like for instance we is did this in Stockton? No, this is in the Bay Area. So oh, I moved okay. to the Bay Area okay. um a little bit after like doing all that school stuff. It was okay. like that was what I was gonna do. Since I wasn't gonna go be an aeronautical engineer, I was like, well then I need to go out and like get a gig at a studio or something. So I moved to the Bay Area. Gotcha. Just like an hour away. Okay. All so right. um and then um so Charlie brought me on as a sound designer but that sort of gave me like full access to everything because we were all accused musician too and we we had three giant studios it was, a, it was an amazing place and um and i pretty much just lived there and so um if i had an office and they used to call they had a mic locker but they used to call my room the mic locker because all the mics would probably be in my room <laughs> my, <laughs> my. <laughs> yeah, we're all the way so let's go let's go there um so, um, and we did, like, we made the original Tickle Me Elmo. Oh Remember that? Oh, my gosh, Like, the yes. super famous thing, yeah. I used to be able to make his voice. <laughs> we actually, like, um, recorded the guy that yeah. does that. Yeah, right. And um, we, we do a lot of, a lot of like, basketball games. And um, I, I got really good at Pro Tools because, unlike music, it would be thousands of files. Like, for instance, I'll never forget doing this video game basketball um you know the memory at that time was so small that they would allow us for audio that i would have to share thes for sentences so i'd have to find one the that i could go like and this is going to date it because like like i remember mostly like you know the announcer we are like penny hardaway is going to the hoop so that the has to work in another sentence. And sometimes you say the up, sometimes you say it down. Oh, wow. Depends on what you're saying before, sometimes on what you're saying after. Inflection. There's a consonant after. You might close your mouth, so it may not work for vowel stuff. All kinds of stuff. And we've been making it 8-bit and like 22K, even lower, sometimes 11K. So that's why those old toys sounded so weird. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And we... Uh, so, yeah, and, and I would literally have thousands of files because I would have, let's say, every single basketball player's name, construct these sentences that go with the script, oh, wow. and then and everything's got to be able to interchange. Wow. So if the announcer, if it's a different player, it's just it's computer automatically switches and stuff like that. Oh, so wow. I got really good at Pro Tools. Um, I'm faster <laughs> than sense. most people. I, sometimes I watch people do a Pro Tools and I'm like, oh. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't ever want you to see me with logic. <laughs> I promise I won't do that. <laughs> Terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I just would get good at shortcuts. I mean, there would be times. I remember I've been with my wife for like ever, and I remember she'd be like, "Are you? You know, we're supposed to go do this thing." And I'm looking, and I just have hundreds of files. And I'm like, <laughs> I know we're supposed to go. Hold on, let me see. And I just end up figuring out some 
cutting tools and just da 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 but that gave me huge access um to the studios and um that was basically it. I was working there. Eric was down the road. Um, Eric, my boss was actually a mentor to Eric at some point too earlier in, in the career. But my Eric had uh, had a studio in some warehouse down the road, and so that's kind of where just all that happened. Okay. Uh, Menlo Park, uh, but, but right by Stanford, the oh, college, yeah, in that area. I've never been. Yeah. Yeah. There. I need to go. I've been to L.A., but never. Right. That's the only place in California I think I've been to. Okay. L.A. is hard to see. You have to. Live there for five years and you actually see it. It's great that there's a lot to do, but you can go surfing and snowboarding in the same day if you do it right. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's great. That's why films are out there so much. I think yeah. back in the day, because they had the topography of everything, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. So you're doing, uh, and and that's what that's when you got the gig with Smash Yes. Mouth, yes. All, during that so time I left period. that place there and, like, say, got on the bus. We kind of had me like a we'll just go for two months and see how it is and we all got along and everything was fine and okay. kept rolling and it's that was 97 September of 97 so 22 years that's great yeah that's great long time so what's a typical I mean uh, uh, wow what's so life post Smash Mouth I guess I mean you're not over but so everything changed everything changed like in a big yeah. big way yeah your life yeah really especially changed. those first few years I mean we were definitely all over the place I mean um, you've seen the world yeah pretty a lot of it yeah a lot of it um not all of it uh, I am going to New Zealand in January which is it will be a first uh, I am a huge ancient history fan and I don't know if you are at all but I got to go to my dream trip earlier this year uh, a place called Gobekli Tepe have you heard of that it's a uh, um, say South America no it's in um, Turkey um, it's like deep in Turkey, like an hour north of like the Syrian border, like in Aleppo, and it's kind Whoa. of in a weird location. But uh, it is a series of stone circles that were found not that long ago that are 12,000 years old. So they predate everything we ever imagined as far as what society could produce. And uh, without get, getting all sidetracked into it, it was absolutely amazing. Wow. Yeah. I'm actually, I have never posted it. Because it was so detailed, and I've finally written my post. I have a couple of things I wanted to kind of proofread, but yeah. within a day or so, I'll share it, and you'll I'll okay. tell you the story of how that happened. How cool is that? Yeah, it was really cool. So you managed to, um, you know, benefit in so many ways yeah. from being in this band. Yeah, and you know, like you know, being it's kind of evolved in sort of a more of a um, weekend kind of flying type thing. I've been able to be a father. You know, which is amazing. I mean, yeah. it's a lot of times it's a choice for us people. And right. For me, it's kind of been both, you know. And I definitely don't take that lightly. You know, I, I know. Yeah. Yeah. So, I feel like I just kind of want to rapid fire questions to you about what it's like to play keyboards in this band. I okay. Mean, just for people who like would would really like to do what you're doing. Right. Um, what kind of rig are you using? Uh, right now, I've minimized my rig to a Nord Stage 3, which okay. I absolutely love that keyboard. I have one, too. Cool, cool. What? I have the Compact. Um, it's, I've got the 88. Okay. The keys. I got the Compact, A, because it's organ-based. I don't, I don't right. play one 
piano sound in Smashbox. Actual, I do play like electric pianos and stuff, but right. I don't actually have. Well, there is one song that technically has piano on it, but we don't ever play it. So, um, so I. But also that North Stage Three fits in its case. Forty nine pounds with my pedal. You know, I use like a Boss volume pedal, and that's it. So I've, in the past, I've used um, more elaborate stuff. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I. Uh, so the Nord rep lives, lives here in Nashville. I don't know if you know Randy Fuchs. I don't. I'm more than happy to introduce you to him. He's a great guy. He, he reps a bunch of stuff. But So the, I guess that's going like why I came here was there was this place called Fort Knox that was being built. Have you heard of that? Um, I don't think I have. Kind of. I don't know what's going on with that. I don't want to technically say it's closed because Randy's still there. And um, But my buddy was managing it, and it was like this huge studio facility. Like at the end of... It was something like 192 rooms kind of thing. Oh, my goodness. And it was also music office, music business office. And that did get finished. And um, and then uh, tour storage, which was also completely full. And um, I, my buddy was coming here to manage it. He's like, man, you should come to Nashville and like get a room. And I'm like, so I had the only room in existence there for about a year. And, uh, and then it kind of, it sort of was closing down, but I know that, the guy who owns it is still kind of hanging in there. So I don't really know what's going on, but, um, uh, so that's kind of what I forgot. I forgot why, why were you here? Um, you talking know? about, oh, about the rig. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so Randy let me borrow the stage and I was kind of screwing around, doing some studio stuff with it. And then I took it out for a couple gigs and I was like, man, this is so easy. So it doesn't cost me any money to fly either. Like, I mean, that's something the band pays for, but it, it would, I had an SK2, which I'm sure you know what that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in its case, it would be like 75 pounds. Okay. It would be 200, I think 200 bucks every flight. Oh my goodness. The Nord's zero dollars. Yeah. And it, it's great. And, uh, but, uh, but beyond that, the only thing, the only thing I've sort of lost, which I might start going to a, a renting a second one. Like a, even just an electro and use it as a controller. Right. For a, I, I call it real estate. I've lost some real estate. But I've kind of like adapted to it nicely, and like so I could stay where I'm at. I have uh, speaking of uh, so when I started playing with them, Eric had sampled all those instruments. I was just gonna ask you about that. Yeah, so like for instance, the Walking on the Sun, mm-hmm. I have each note hold out an extent, and that last note the thing I told you about where it turns off the keyboard and goes up, I have that. Okay. And I, it's funny because I transferred it into the stage three. I've done main stage rigs before. I love main stage. The only thing that I would find a lot of the rental controllers would be beat up. And oh, dear. So, so I started having like, too many problems, you know? Gotcha. But I love main stage. Main stage, I don't know if you use it much. I do have it. It's incredible. Um, you can do anything you want. Yeah. It's yeah. cheap. It's cheap. Yeah. Right. And the, even the initial organs, great. The mm-hmm. clavinets awesome like all that kind of stuff since are cool um so are you taking a laptop too i'm not anymore that's okay. right but but you put it all in see you can room. do it in the stage three and it stays there yeah so it's just literally plug and i just have it in my room and i just a lot of times I, until i go down there i'll just say just test the lines make sure that your lines are working and when i get there i'll just you pop my keyboard on and Mm-hmm. So I could play in my room, and I'm getting more practice. That's kind of great. Yeah, it is. Um, and how much, you said it weighs like about 45 pounds in the case? It's 49. 49. With a pedal. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty great. Boss, EV. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, so I've kind of moved to that. Um, before that, I had the SK-2, which I loved because I had the two levels. But I had to 
I had for all the synth stuff, I had to add the main stage rig. Okay. And so okay. it was heavy and it was more complicated. Mm-hmm. And then before that, and for a long time, I was going main stage with two controllers. I had a buddy make me this. Um, he made me a, a case, like an Anvil case that housed two M Audio controllers. And okay. you would push the bottom one in so it was actually thinner when you actually flew with it. You right. put the top on. But it was really cool. And I used that for years and years. And I used the main stage rig. And then before that, I was using for a while um, at my old studio. There's a company. Uh, what are they called again? Uh, Muse Receptor. Okay. It was a, um, their idea was sort of like, you can't trust the laptop, so they made a rack unit that ran plugins. Okay. The problem with it, it, it just, the laptops just kind of surpassed it, and they kind of ended at some point. Okay. It's kind of a mute point. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and then before. Laptops got better, maybe. Yeah, they, they got better. Me. Exactly. Or you could just have two laptops, or, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. Um. And then before that, I used to have a pretty elaborate rig where we used to kind of like ship it around. That's why we stopped. But I used to use a VK-77. Okay. And then I had a um, Alesis Andromeda analog synth. Oh, wow. I love that synth. Yeah. Um, and, then I, and then I used to... So that was like three levels, and then I would use a, right. a sampler, uh, this Roland thing, do a bunch of weird... Kind of stuff. I would have thought that your rig would be pretty extensive yeah. to cover all that stuff. It's crazy because, to be honest, I kind of miss any of it with the Nord. That's great. I, it sounds like a fucking Nord commercial, but <laughs> I I love that keyboard. Mm-hmm. And I love, like, if you're recording, like, you know, especially if you're kind of rapid fire at a session, and you can just go from one extreme to another and, like, you know, here, let me do this real quick. Boom, 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 boom. And lay that down. And let me, okay, well, actually, let me grab piano. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. doing the weirdest synth sound of the grand piano. Like, all of it they, just in one box. And they all know? sound so good. And you can organically program it. That was the one thing I don't like about main stage is after a while, you're just like on the laptop all the time. <laughs> right. And I love, like, just being able to, like, and even on, on the set. You know, like all of a sudden I want to put delay on the keyboard. It's not that hard to do. One touch sometimes. Yep. And right in front of you, yep. too. That's pretty awesome. Uh, what's the weirdest thing that ever happened at one of those gigs? <laughs> or does, is that common? Or do, are you guys like, do you, do you use the same set list a lot? Is it, do you pretty much know, do you have it, could you do it in your sleep now? Yeah, we do, or, we definitely do. Um, so you don't really break the pattern too much? Well, we'll bring some song, we get sick of this, and we start bringing in that, and that kind of thing. Um, so like a while back, uh, we did go into a rehearsal studio, and we picked like six or seven tunes that we haven't played in a long time, and Kind of brought them back. But for the most part, you don't really have to do anything. Um, the strangest thing... Well, I'll tell you one thing that happened that was weird. So at one point on this rig, I had a... Uh, uh, it was uh, one of the Roland JV sound modules. I, I Like the 5080. Yeah, um, I don't know if you remember. It was the same thing as like a J, uh, the XP50. or was that brain, but in a rack. Okay. And we had done this gig on a beach... And, um, man, I had one of our sounds that I had put in myself since that gig on the beach would, it would get stuck. And it was a farfy kind of thing. It would, and it was like, oh, geez. and I would have no way to get out of it. And, <laughs> and it kept happening. And so I was like, all right, forget this. Like I am, you know, we're on this kind of, we were, uh, strangely enough, we were playing a tour with NSYNC. Sounds weird, but it's actually absolutely amazing. Those guys are super cool. Um, but 
it was a big stuff and I was like, I can't, this can't happen, you know? So I'd go early and I would spend the entire day trying to make it happen. Nothing. Wow. I'm just trying to isolate it and go like, well, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Get nothing. Day after day after day. Go up on stage. Oh my God. It was so so depressing. It was just like, there's a lot of that in keyboard land. I I gotta say, with the Nord, I've literally had no problems. Not even one problem. Um, uh, well, the only thing that would work would be re- rebooting. Would you have to just power yeah, down and yeah, it would take forever. Lord have mercy. Yeah, I had, and, and and another thing was like with those controllers. I would rent controllers. I play a little heavy. Uh, I kind of I have a energetic style on stage, you know, yeah. and um, and and so I'm a little rough on the keyboards too. But I would be the guy who three keys would finally break on this. You know, what is like the motif that's been rented 3,000 times, but (laughs) I would be the guy where three keys would break, you know, just like, and just kind of get sick of that, you know. Right. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, as far as musically, that's, so I'll give you another good story, though. Uh, We were on Letterman. So the guys, uh, they used to play, the guitar player and the bass player were in cover bands. So when they started playing, they were playing flat. Like, they would just detune their guitars. And they would go to practice and just keep them that way. So the first record, first two records of Smash Mouth are in flat keys. Um, wow. Um, yeah, so like, uh, Walking on the Sun's in a flat minor to me and stuff like that. And I just play it in those flat keys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to them, you know. Are they using capos now or what? No, they we just have two so guitars. They down. Yeah, okay. we have, e, like, on the third record and beyond, we started going to normal. So they have an E and an E flat guitar and... Okay. And switch it out. You gotcha. Know? Um, but we were on Letterman and uh, Paul Schaefer on the outro wanted went into Walking on the Sun, but he didn't really know this, and he was like, "Come on, like keep playing, like play with us," and like they couldn't because they didn't really know how to do, it. <laughs> like, you know, like the. Because he was playing an A regular A minor. Gotcha. And they were just kind of staring at him. And I was like, I was like oh. wanting to play with Paul Schaefer. And I was like, yeah. We're just, oh, man. We're walking off. <laughs> that, was, that was a little awkward. Wow. Yeah. And I wanted to explain it to him, but it was obviously in the heat of the moment. It would have been too hard to yeah, figure yeah. it out. Yeah. So, wow. That's that's pretty cool. You, how many times did you play Letterman? We uh, only played Letterman a couple of times. Did you meet Paul Leno. Schaefer? Yeah, briefly, like that kind of Just stuff. Just a little yeah. bit. Yeah. But, um... Leno was the one that we did... Nine extensive times. To, yeah, nine times. And I think you were telling me before I turned the record on, uh, the microphone on, that you did, you've done it more than any other band? I think so. If that still stands. Nine But he's going to retire for a while, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty crazy, huh? Do you like playing TV shows? It's nerve-wracking. Really? Yeah. Um, it's kind of thrilling in a sense. You know, my very first time... Playing uh, Leno was the first major thing I did. Terrified, um, but I literally an hour before I got super sick, like bad, where I didn't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I right? was, and it I, helped your nerves. Yeah, I was so scared, but ironically, I couldn't even change my clothes. I was like throwing up, so I go out there. And Leno comes and shakes my head. He shakes all of her hands. He goes, couldn't dress up for this, huh? And I was just like, what do I say? Like, I'm literally, 
was so funny. But I was, I barely made it. Oh man, I barely made it to that gig. Yeah. Wow, but that's kind of helpful. Yeah, yeah, it was in that moment. Do you guys use earbuds when you're playing live? I do. Yeah. And so, is it, is the sound ever really bad? Is have you ever like just like uh, not been able to hear? I mean, there, there are times, but um, I do say that with in ears that you definitely need a good mix. Like in ears with a bad mix is really bad. Like a wedge with a bad mix is you can kind of do something about it. Yeah. But um. And when but, you play live, do you use in ears? Yeah. Okay. So I do. Man, I stand next to the drummer, and like for a while, I was kind of being lazy about it. Recently, and I was kind of enjoying not, you know, a little bit. And man, those cymbals just kill me. Yeah, yeah. It's like so. Yeah, I, I definitely use in ears. Good, good call. Yeah. We want to keep hearing yeah. as long as possible. I know. <laughs> yeah, we're getting old. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks. Um, but uh, yeah. So, are y'all gonna do any new recordings when? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um... Were you in the studio for the entire Astral Lounge recording? Yeah. Okay, so did you like being in the studio? I love being in the studio. As opposed to playing live, which one do you like better? Man, you know, luckily I've had both kind That's of great. all my life, all my musical life. Um, and I have like a studio at home and I'm like always doing stuff, you know. Um, I have like a bunch of old keyboards and that, that whole thing. Um, which one's your favorite? Man. Like, you love it I mean, so much. The Hammond. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, it's just, you know, there's times where I'll just literally play the Hammond and just just hearing the actual speaker, like, just one note even, and just the depth and stuff you hear in there. It's it's a, it's amazing. It's, it literally is. So you have a full, like a Leslie and all yeah. that, a full setup? Yeah, I got an A100 with the okay. Leslie. Uh, I got a Wurlitzer. I got a, a Rhodes suitcase, and I have a stage. I have a clavinet D6. Cool. I have a few synths, you know. Um, Is there a keyboard out right now that you'd like to have just for kicks? Uh, like new? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't really know. Um, you know Randy's going to love this because uh, now that I have my Nord, um, <laughs> I to be honest, like uh, that's kind of my favorite thing. I mean, yeah, there's a ton of synths, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I have enough stuff where I don't really think about gear that much these days. You know, it used to be like, it would just have this whole list of things that, I mean, there's definitely a lot of synths out there. And I, I probably am due to probably get something new. Um, but as far as like, I don't really know like the role. I, I know somebody was just posting that the, I guess it's a Phantom that Roland, Roland's flagship is a Phantom or something like that. I think Jonathan Smith was talking about that. Yeah, that's who I saw post actually. Yeah, go check it out. I... I haven't been a fan of those in a long time. I know his style kind of fits that more. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's awesome. Right. But, like, I don't, I don't really know. I don't know if I really care that much to even to figure that out or not, you know? Right. Yeah. I like 60s boards. I almost bought a Rhodes recently. Yeah. Um, I do, too. I'd, yeah. like, I'd like to have a Mellotron. I'd like oh, to have yeah. an accordion. Yeah. Do you play accordion? A little bit. I wish I did. Yeah. Not, not to any... Like, William Link will be like, no, you don't. <laughs> no. Well, oddly enough, I saw him last night. Right. And this is like a who's who of, you know, keyboard players that we all kind of know. But he was telling me he's going to teach me accordion. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. He's great. He's a really great guy, too. Yes. Yeah. Um, do you do, like, solo projects? Yes. So you have your own studio. So okay. I also, I have a, I mean, I have a kind of a, I have a band in the sense I, I, I'm I go by Clooster and that my band's sort of a rotating thing and you know I'll do something in California with different people I've done some stuff cool. here 
under. I did. I was a guest star for Kara's once. Okay. Um, yeah, and um, we did like six of my originals. So I yeah I have I do that. Um, nice. Kind of do it all. Yeah. You know. We kind of do need to. In yeah. A way. I started. I didn't record. I didn't. Um, never thought I would be a songwriter. And um, the way I started writing songs, interestingly enough. Was even though I work with artists, so I understood the the concepts of like writing songs. I just didn't do it myself. I didn't think I could ever sing all that stuff. And I had a friend who her parents had gone through her attic and um, gave me you know the last time there was a ukulele revolution, probably like in the '60s. They had this. She gave me this really rad '60s uh, baritone ukulele. Now I'm left-handed. I do play bass. I play upside down. Um, Paul, the bass player in Smashup, gave me one, and so I was sitting around my house, and eventually I, I learned to play it, and then I was in a band for a while, so I got kind of a little bit better. Um, rock band, though, so it wasn't like, uh, real bass playing, but, um, uh, but I, um, she gave me this ukulele, so I play it also upside down, and I immediately started writing songs, without even like, oh, I'm going to write songs, I just, I started playing some chords, and then it was like, bam, I had songs. Yes. And um, and I started writing, and from that point on, and one of the things that for me, like like doing like writing songs and whatnot, is that you know, I, as a producer, or like working with people or being in bands, you're always dependent upon other people, and of course things don't always work out, and it's like it's no big deal, but it's like ugh, all that time wasted or whatever. Right. And so it's like this is one thing that nobody can screw up. Right. Only me. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, um, so I started doing it, and um, been yeah, recorded a few records and stuff. And That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Maybe um, if you you know give me a file or two, I'll put those uh, at the Love end to. of the podcast. Love if you to, want. yeah. Um, is that why you moved to Nashville? Did I you? moved to Nashville because of that, um, the Fort Knox thing. Oh. It was kind of a okay. spur of the moment thing, um, and my buddy was moving here, and we were just kind of like you know, this could be a good situation for us. Uh, like in in Los Angeles, it's a lot of work in the sense that everything's hard to get around. So like as a parent, and like you know, I had a nice situation, recording situation at my home, but it's like to the idea that this would have presented would be like all my networking was in one place. I'd literally be like right in the middle of all these things happening. It was just kind of perfect, you know. So I I came and checked it out, and you know, to be honest, even though that thing didn't work out or whatever, uh, I'm super glad I came here. I like it here. That's cool. Yeah. And you've said you've been here two years, I think? Yeah, two years. In July, okay. yeah. Wow. Um, but you really like it. Yeah, That's I do. great. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, um, it's a diverse and extremely talented yeah. music community. Yeah. And I think you were talking about the camaraderie. Mm-hmm. Um, who, a lot of camaraderie. Who do you think are, like, um, who, who are some of the great players you've heard so far in Nashville? Um... I mean, there's probably so many. Well, you know who really blew my mind was Jack Pearson. Yeah. God. Uh, my buddy Matthew Clinkenbeard, she was like, you got to come see this, and that blew my mind. Um, yeah. Uh, and the, I like going, to, like, anytime anybody comes to town, I like to take them to uh, uh, Robert's, like, on Sunday night. See that Daniel Donato, or that yeah. guy's pretty amazing, too. Yeah. Um, I mean, all of the the whole keyboard clan is awesome. We pretty much mentioned every. The only guy we haven't mentioned is probably Larry, that I could think of offhand, um, who's amazing as yeah. well. Me and Larry are Dutch. 
Right. We always kind of bond over. <laughs> I always see your jokes. Facebook. They're so funny. Yeah. I mean, we, go ahead. Oh no, I, I don't know what I was going to say. Well, I was just going to say when you moved to town, how did you um, did you did you know what you wanted to do here? Do you, did you have a plan or did well, you start? How'd you start networking? Interestingly, yeah, um, I didn't really have a plan. That's the kind of weird thing is when I moved to LA, I kind of knew people in a different way where like it was more natural to just kind of walk in. I, to be honest, I haven't really thought about it that much. All of a sudden, we're here. Um, my, my wife was kind of like, we're doing this. And I'm like, okay, I guess we're doing this. And then, so all of a sudden, we're here. And um, the first year, I was pretty much, we were busy. So I was touring a lot, and I was um, in that studio a lot. And I was uh, and I had a bunch of projects that I was already kind of working on. And so um, I was doing that a lot, but I was starting to venture out to some of the jams and um you know, uh, another great keyboard player, Eric Roberts, who um, me and Eric have known each other for a long time. Really? And we um, met at a show years and years ago, and you know how personable he is. I mean, he came up to me and we started talking about keyboards and whatnot, and uh, we moved here almost the exact same time. And okay. it was like, you know, I was like, dude, you're here? I'm here. <laughs> so we kind of hung around, you know, we started going around to, to the local happenings. You know, the great thing is it doesn't take that much. You yeah. get out there and just be, be cool and play and mm-hmm. you know at first it's a little weird you go to jams and stuff and um you know i guess maybe this would be really good for your students and stuff it's you know you don't you go there and it seems like everybody knows each other but you you know but it really doesn't take that long I mean, first couple times you're just kind of okay you know right and then all of a sudden you're like hey what's up and then now you yeah it's just like a family you know and yes so yeah I think when it comes to that, you know, I will say this, that beyond, I was going to say it about getting to know everybody and stuff like that, but I will say that when I was coming up, I, it was like, I wanted to play and make music, and that was kind of all I cared about, in the sense that, like, I was going to scam my way in no matter what, like, I'm going to do this, I want to do this, and... The rest of it will just like happen, and and I pretty much said yes to everything all the time. Yeah. And and it did, you know. And I can't say that that's like a, a necessarily a golden recipe, but right. put you put yourself out there, you know. Yeah. I've seen some of the young people that were coming to the jams that now all of a sudden they're playing all over and stuff, and yeah. it's like there you go, you know. You you just you humbly came and right. or got through it, and then all of a sudden, you know. Just handle the next gig. Yeah. Handle each gig one at a time. Exactly. Do what you're supposed to do. Yep. To the best of your ability. Yep. And have take fun. it serious, you know. Like, I mean, have fun, but take it serious. You know, you're learning and you're... That's one thing I love about music is that everybody's always trying their best. Because you kind of need to. Yeah. I mean, I mean, sure, you could think of a million examples of people not doing that. But for the most part. Right. I mean, even just going to the blues jam, it's like everybody's trying to, to do the best they can. Sure. It's cool. Like, I mean, in a lot of the job world, there's probably a lot of people just kind of going through the motions every day, don't really care, you know? Right. We we have to care. Yes. <laughs> We're just out there sticking out. <laughs> yeah. What are some of the best shows you've played? I mean, can you remember, like, the most memorable experiences? Sure. Um, let's get some good stuff here. Uh well, one of the cool things we got to do was um, we opened for U2, and we played, like, 
humongous stadiums, which was really cool. The only time we actually physically met them was on Halloween, and we had all dressed up. They all dressed up as dead dead girls. I had long hair at the time, <laughs> and so I dressed as a sexy dead girl. <laughs> and Bono comes in, and I, we all went to the mall, and I had this like leopard skin nightie. And Bono comes in, and he's like, yeah, hey, like it was, just, it was just hilarious. Um, so that was that was pretty incredible. I mean, it was funny. It was pretty early in our career. Like, it was actually pre Astro Lounge, and you want to feel like nobody like you think oh, man we're playing stadiums and it's like yeah. dude you're playing and people are watching you while they sit down and they can care less and then you play Walking on the Sun like oh you oh, yeah I know that song and yeah. you're, you're just so nobody and you're like fill up that big of the stage and the stage is like that you know yes um, that's gotta be odd yeah. But I'm sure the check was like um, some some comfort for that. Well, it really those gigs aren't really about the check as much as they're about the exposure. The exposure in that sense. I mean, really? yes, you're getting paid and stuff, but I mean, that was still you know for one of those bands that for at least a couple of records we were where you still bought records and you toured to sell your record, which everything's obviously completely changed. You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, man, it was. Like, I'll tell you, okay, I mean, there's a million shows, like, I mean, we did a huge festival kiss one time, like, um, we, uh, we toured with Lenny Kravitz and Prince came out a few times, that was pretty interesting, stuff like that. Wow. Um, but I'll give you, what's even better than me, like, than, I mean, to me, honestly, like, sometimes the, the cool, crazy club show was funner than that stuff, like. It's cool to say you did it, but, I mean, they're, they're so, I don't know. They're just big and right. weird. You know, it's not the same. So I mostly have fun at the funner things, but I have a great story. And so one day, actually, it was we played this show in Newfoundland with Kiss. And it was like a huge festival, ton of other people, but it was fun to do that. But on the way back, um, our tour manager had dispersed the gear amongst us so like even though i checked like a bag like i basically was assigned like three bags and but there was a mistake made on my part where there was really only two bags so through customs if they don't have a picture of it they gotta figure it out so they had to stop me and i basically missed my flight to sort this problem out sort it out finally go through customs and i'm doing this in uh, montreal is like my kind of uh connection point and um the guy's like, okay, you got two choices. He goes, you can you can go back through customs. I can get you on a plane. At the time, I lived in California. I can get you a plane to uh, Vancouver, and then you can go through customs again and get to San Francisco. Or you can stay here for like 10 hours, and I'll put you on first class. And I'm like, just do that. And we had some fun the night before, so I was kind of a little, little uh, tired. We hung over a little bit. and So I just laid around this, this airport, just kind of being miserable all day. And... I had seen this guy walking around, but I go. So at the time, I told you about my baritone uke. I take it with me all the time, so I have it on my bag. So I finally kind of go to the gate. And there's a big black guy, and he goes, "Is that a uke?" <laughs> I go, "Yeah." He goes, "I got one too." And he just pulls one out and we start playing, playing. I'm playing upside down, showing him my songs. Like he's t- finally, we like played for like a half hour straight. You know, he had a little one. Um, and then, uh, so we're sitting there, and I go, so, uh, taking, like, a break, you know, and I go, so are you, like, a professional musician? He goes, yeah, I was playing some gigs up here in Montreal. <laughs> uh, 
Um, <laughs> I said, cool. Uh, what's your what's your band name? Taj Mahal. Cool. What's what's your name? Taj. <laughs> just like. Oh, like everything just got super real. Like, dude, I've just been jamming with Taj Mahal for a half hour at a gate, and like not even caring, and just be like, oh, no, dude, <laughs> wow. and then we sat together on the plane and flew home. That's amazing. <laughs> it was awesome. Was he on the same? He was on the same plane. Yeah. Oh, that's. He lives in Oakland. Wow. Wow. So. That was, was so worth that it. miserable day, I was like, the yeah. whole time I was just going like, when y'all hear what, what happened to me, yes. <laughs> you can blow your mind. <laughs> Man, in this day and time, you'd been like recording it on your phone. I know, maybe. right? Right? <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's so great. Yeah, that was, that was really interesting. Yeah. Wow. We've had a lot of really cool experiences. Um, yeah, a lot. A yeah. Lot. Other musicians are just going to be in the airports too. You know, you kind of forget that, that, that you're sort of a... There's um, a camaraderie, I'm sure, when you are both yeah. in the same situation. I don't know. Here it's funny because, like, Sundays, all the musicians are getting off the plane. But I think everybody's too afraid to, like, say, oh, you play too well. <laughs> like, okay. but everybody's got a guitar on their back. and Yeah. It's pretty, pretty interesting. Um, I bet. Yeah. Wow. Um, you've just blown my mind with that story. Now I'm just, like, at a complete... <laughs> <laughs> Me too, man. I was, I was just... Like what? I mean, a part of me is like, you're so stupid, dude. Like, you didn't, you didn't even realize. But the other part of me was like, yeah. Of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Who would you say are your biggest influences? Can you say? I mean, you've you've mentioned jazz. You know, as like where you the city you came from is like big yeah. on jazz, and um, you've mentioned Bill Evans. Um, I'm trying to think who else, what other players you've mentioned. Um, you know, I, my dad actually, I grew up listening to his Brubeck records. I uh, Brubeck's a good one for me, I think. I've always liked Thelonious Monk a lot. I like that he's sort of rough and raw and mm -hmm. um, that. I, I'm Chester Thompson and Tower Power, probably a huge influence to me. Okay. Um, you know, I think in a weird way, other than kind of your basics and kind of being blown away by a certain keyboard, I don't really think of, like, keyboard players that much. Like, it kind of just, like, music. Right. But I do. I mean, there are points. I mean, you start talking about it, and you'll, yeah, this guy, that guy, but I don't know. Like, I, I'm also a big fan of, like, rock and roll and stuff. and like Me too. Yeah, so I don't, and hip-hop, and, like, I grew up listening to hip-hop. And when I grew up, rock was super uncool where I lived. Like, all my cousins listened to rock, and we were just like, we listened to hip-hop. We hate, we were, because, you know, I graduated in 91, and we hated the 80s. We were that generation that made, okay. you know, like Nirvana came out when I graduated. And that was probably one of the first rock records where I was like, oh, I'll actually listen to this. Because it just yeah. got dumb, you know, like the hair rock and whatnot. And, Right. We hated it. And I went to a very multicultural school. So, I mean, basically, we just listened to... I liked, like, like uh, bands like Guy, or, like, R&B bands from, like, the late 80s, you know, um, which is, like, where Teddy Riley's from. Okay. He's a famous producer. Um, right. Stuff like that. Hip-hop stuff. Jeff got me into funk stuff. I got into New Wave because New Order... I got a New Order CD, and it had... It was like it had guitars and stuff, but it had like uh, drum machines. So it was like a 
a crossover for me. Mm-hmm. Like I like it sounded like hip hop production, but even though there's a kind of neighboring thing there, you know. Right. So. Yeah. Do you uh, do you ever listen to the Cars very uh-huh. much? You know your role in Smash Mouth kind of reminds me of oh, the guy sure. in Greg the Hawks. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yep. And um, you know I, I loved the Cars growing up, but um, it seems to me like kind of what you're saying is you know you you are more into bands than just single players and the team yeah the teamwork well, thing. Like here's the thing, you know. Like okay, take the Cars. Like I've always liked the Cars. I don't really go back and go, oh, what did he do to that synth? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. it kind of doesn't really matter. It's great stuff. It was, it, I don't know. Like, I don't see that as being, like, it just doesn't take that much time to figure out what you liked or didn't like about what he did. So it's not, like, I don't know, like, soaking your head into that. There's just nowhere to go with it other than, yeah, that's great music, you know. So I don't, I don't know. We did get to do a song with him, though, by the way, because you really? know he just passed, right? Rick 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 yeah, yeah, we did it. He produced a song with us. Oh, man. Yeah, years ago. Yeah. And it was pretty cool. I bet. Yeah, yeah. Smart guy. Yep, yep. It seems like to me, like the role that you play in your band um, is about like knowing how to fill spaces and where to leave yes. spaces open. Yep. Um, that's one thing I love about Astro Lounge is, you know, that um, I keep bringing it up, but, you know, no. I'm geeking out on it. I'll tell you, I mean, it sounds weird to say it, but I know a lot of people, if they haven't heard it, to be involved with what I consider, like, one of the really great records, that record is one of those. And other than, not even really talking about myself so much, you know, that, like, Eric's producing was at a pinnacle, Greg's songwriting was at a pinnacle, and um, I'll tell you something else interesting about it, we had finished it for the most part and this is our second record you know and the record label comes back but typically they're going to do this but they're like we don't really hear a hit you know <laughs> and Greg got kind of mad <laughs> he went home and he wrote two songs and one of them was All Star and the other one was this, another song that did pretty well called Then the Morning Comes but I remember him calling him and he's like yeah he goes, I wrote two songs I hate one of them I like the other one and, <laughs> but I think they're going to work and he literally wrote All Star like you know like you, you want a hit here's your hit and he kind of like meshed all these things that were, it was very deliberate. And he, and he won. He got lucky on that one, but he won, you know. Interesting. And yeah. And so, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, that record, I mean, like songs like Waste and stuff, like people probably don't realize like there's that kind of depth of material on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fallen Horses. That was that was me. I started that one. Yeah. Yeah. Great song. Yeah. And I love the um. It's are you playing like chimes or something? In there? Yeah, the yeah. vibes. Vibes. A lot of vibes. Okay. And I'm not a vibe player either, but we we end up doing a ton of vibe parts. You know the other one we did. This actually might be on the third record, but we did uh. Uh, who's the, the Hampton? Is it like Greg? Greg would uh do demos, and sometimes he would just sample stuff for demos, and he sampled. I think it was Lionel Hampton or something, but it was a small snippet of jazz. And then we, but we weren't going to use it, so we basically reconstructed it. Wow. And then I'd end up playing like three notes and the vibes mm-hmm. and stuff like that. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, and melodies and stuff, yeah. There's a lot of humor in the songs, too. Yep, yep. Like, um, let's see, the, well, in All Star, like, the, um, some, somebody once told me the world's going to roll me, I'm, I'm, ain't the sharpest tool in the. Mm hmm. And, and then you go. Yeah, <laughs> it's, the bubble. So, it's yeah. like a 
It's like a second inversion cord or something like that. Right. It's, it's, so do you guys like? I wish y'all had so much fun. Like, and it would be those, those would be fun to play live. They are. You know what? It's funny. Like people ask me, you know, do you ever get sick of the song? And to be honest, never. Like, a you know, just being blessed to get to do cool gig like that I mean right. I'm just not but also like I'm not really sick of the songs you know I mean right. don't really want to listen to them like yeah. so much although I probably am due for a good Astro Lounge listen or something it's been a while but like yeah I don't get sick and I also think about it you know I had a couple of um, near misses of like going with other people and, and I remember checking out like particular band and their keyboard player just literally did nothing pertinent to the music and just kind of I was watching it and I was just going holy shit dude you literally have the most important keyboard gig in rock and roll that exists like I can't even think of one that in rock and roll that that is keyboard oriented like that I'm solo almost every single song like you know that that your parts are super important. Even if they're, like, sparse, they're still, like, they're not just some bed padding, you know? They're right. they're pertinent, and they're, they're a big deal. And, like... Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't... Could you name one? A, a, a part like that? Or, like, like, a, like a, a band with a keyboard role as pertinent as Smash Mouth. Oh. Other than, like, some, like, old, like, Deep Purple or oh. something, but... Like where the keyboard is just so integral. Yeah. Well, like the cars, for instance. The cars, uh, they make yeah. me think, I mean, some of the synth lines are just so important. Yeah, so that's a good one. But that's um, like 80s. <laughs> okay, you know? so you mean like today. Yeah, or like of my era. Right. Like what would have been open for me to end up being in a position to right. do, you know, and there's uh, They were all guitar-based. Yeah. I mean, Third Eye Blind. Um, mm-hmm. You know Kevin Packard? He's a, he works for Pearl Drums okay. here in town. He's got a duo called Checkpoint Charlie. Okay. And their stuff is keyboard based. Okay. And I got, actually got to play a house concert with them this oh, cool. summer. It was so fun. Yeah. It was one of those gigs where every single song was so fun to play. Nice. Like a, either like a grand piano or a hammond organ or electric piano or, or really cool sound effects. Right. They, do, they have like an EP that's all Star Wars based songs. Okay. And so there's like a huge like... Oh, vocal right. synth part in that song. Yeah. I mean, every song was so fun. But yeah, I mean, I, I hear you. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it seems like it's kind of rare. Yeah. That there's really... Especially, and then the the multitude. They might have a song or a certain thing, but mm-hmm. to have something that's just so, just all up in it all the time is... So you're basically saying when you have a gig, you're like, oh, the next song I get to play this. And yeah, you know, like, for instance, you know, we do a drum solo and a song, and a lot of times I'll come up and I do this, like, sort of bass solo synth, and sometimes Steve will come in earlier, sometimes not, sometimes it'll go forever, whatever, but the drummer looks at me and he's like, I'm like, sorry, man, because he had come in earlier on this, and I'm like, uh, I just did... 14 solos, dude. <laughs> and I'm and good. I can, like, do all kinds of stuff to the song. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> we got plenty of action over here. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Feel- so, I mean, that's kind of what I mean. I mean, it's just, like... Every song is fun to play. Yeah, for the most part, yeah. How great is that, that you guys had the foresight in the studio, you know, to, to think that through and make the song so interesting and fun and so that you would always want to play them. I feel like, to a certain degree... I mean, it wasn't a mistake in the sense that Greg Greg is a surf guitar player and he's very into retro 60s stuff. And so is Eric. So it wasn't a mistake that Walking on Sun took that turn. Although, I, you know, I wasn't technically in the room for all that. But um, 
Greg was really smart about allowing it to uh, let the band, allowing that to, to to let the band kind of go in that direction instead of sort of going, oh, we're not that. We don't, you know, it's like, actually, yeah, let's do that. And then what was cool about it, if you listen to Astro Lounge, to say like, oh, we just took Walking on the Sun and expanded upon it is a very simple thing because it's not like a bunch of Doors rip-off songs. It's like, there's all of it. Some of it's 80s, some of it's super 60s, some of it's super loungy, some of it's, mm-hmm. but it's like, but we basically said, what can we do with this keyboard thing? And so, I mean, yeah, I I definitely walked into that, you know, mm-hmm. for whatever that means. Well, there's another one, the, the Doors, uh-huh. I guess. And, you know, come to think of it, like, if I listen to Al Green, then I'm here in Hammond, Oregon. Sure. <clears throat> I love Al Green. The tone of the one draw bar, it's my... One of my starting points. So one, the one draw bar, and then I just pull the last one just a smidge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just a slight yeah, little whistle. I'll get my green on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it's like uh, you have to go to another genre. Yeah. It, rock is it's hard to find. Yeah. Um, as soon as I put this out, so I'm going to get like Josh Rosen or somebody's going to call me and tell me, hey, there's this band, there's right. this band, there's this band. Jellyfish. <laughs> Journey. But, yeah, Journey. <laughs> but I tell you, every time I play Don't Stop Believing, I just feel like my arm, my my right arm's going to just fall off. I freaking hate that girl. Like, that is the, my nemesis. I hate playing that song. I And I, almost on almost every cover gig, every cover gig I've done here, it's come up. Yes. It's like literally my nemesis. I, I don't do it that well, and I don't. One of these days, I'm going to walk away and go, Finally! <laughs> right? Because it's not even that hard. I'm that way with the Africa solo. Okay. <laughs> I've never tried that, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> that thing is so hard. I'll bet. I'll bet. And yes, yeah. When I nail that, it's like a, an amazing day. The day has been made. Didn't but... Carrie, she's, that's another person we didn't mention. She, she did she post a video recently? She may have, yeah. I haven't met Carrie yet. Um, oh, no? I, I've texted her, and I think, you know, she's going to do a show next month. She's awesome. I think so. She's absolutely yeah. awesome. So, looking forward to meeting yeah. her. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah. And that song, is, it come, it's been requested a lot lately, Africa, you know, because yeah. I, I don't know, it has a resurgence right now, too. Sure. I can't remember how, but... Um, Everything's retro. <laughs> <laughs> We're retro. Now. You know, I'll say that a lot of, <coughs> you know, when I grew up, like, say, we hated the 80s. Um, and we were, you know, all Grateful Dead. And we liked the 70s and all that. And, like, you know, since the 80s came back, you know, the 90s have come back. And now we're kind of, I guess, venturing into the 2000s coming back. It's like, the cool thing about now is that nothing is taboo anymore. It used to be in the 90s, you wouldn't want to sound 80s, or, you know, there'd be the, you could do this, but you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, you could do whatever you want. Yeah. Like, really, really whatever you want. Now, the, the bad side of that, I think, is that it feels like things have all been done to a certain degree. Good but there's some great combinations. Um, there's some great combos. Like, uh, you know, there's a great band, if you ever, uh, uh, Foxygen. Never heard of them. They're just this little duo out of L.A., and they do some really interesting stuff, like uh, super retro. So the first thing was like a little bit 60s, kind of, in a way, Spanish pop, but much more serious um, and psychedelic. But then they um, got into this sort of like 30s film score slash indie rock band songs, which is a weird combination, huh? That's blowing my mind. Just yeah. Like trying to think, how does that even sound? It's different 
Wow. They're really cool. I'll, I'll send you links to okay. what we talked about and whatnot. Nice. And yeah. Um, do you like Corey Henry? Are you yeah, into the, all of course. The, uh, yeah, like that That side of the, everything is very healthy keyboard-wise. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. No, that's been great. Um, a lot of my friends, you know, my jazz friends like in California were very into that kind of style. Um, I'm not that great at it. I would like to get better. Um, I don't know. Do you, how about you? Do you feel confident with that kind of stuff? I mean, I work on it yeah. a lot. Um, a friend of mine sent me um, this great video. It's called The Seven Levels of Jazz. Okay. And I'll have to send that to you, yeah. too. It's, uh, this guy just goes through all of the uh, different techniques that you use, like voicings, basically. Right, right. Like tritone substitutions. Sure. And... and you know, just keeps on getting deeper and deeper. Yeah, kind of like level. those Mahagan books that they go yeah. through the time. Yeah, yeah. It does sound like what you described. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would love to see that. Have you seen that video? I think it's with Herbie Hancock and some Asian kid, and they're they're talking about. I think they actually use seven levels as well. That's why I thought you were going to say that. Um, they take a song and they they. It's more like it's not like seven layers of voicings or anything. It's more like seven levels of complexity in, in a way of analyzing music wow. so they talk about it on a simple sense and then they take it one level higher and, and it's pretty amazing it, was, it went viral a few years ago but it's it's out there and, i don't think i've seen that yeah i I'll also say that it's like i think that what's happening on youtube for music is incredible i do too so much information like and when you meet kids like we didn't know nothing I only knew what I had access to, and I, you have to right. buy it and hear about it. And so, if you wanted to learn something off the record, you would just pick it up the needle. And mm-hmm. I mean, at one point, and, and cassettes were hard to deal with. Yep. And you know, CDs to rewind is really no. Um, huh? But and now, yeah, I real book and YouTube videos, and you can slow things down. You can speed up. I mean, just I mean, the YouTube videos blow me away. I mean, like the theory that you can learn. I mean. Just everything. The tutorials. It's like free college. Yes, you it know? is. It is. If you if apply you... it and do the work, Yeah. you know, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and, I mean, that probably scares a lot of people, you know. that. That's it's a little a... scary. You meet kids. I mean, like, some of those kids that would be at the Brubeck Institute, you know, they, it would be this two-year, like, one band gets in, so they're all really good, you know, and they would get a bachelor's in two years. And they would stay the Christian bride and all these people, whatever. But you would see these little snotty-nosed zit kids that literally have the real book memorized at 18. And I'm just like, when? (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know? Um, A kid that I'm teaching right now, an 8-year-old, well, actually, I think he's 7, came to his lesson and knew, like, half of the Mario thing from the video. Right, right. He talked to himself. That's And, I mean, he's not playing scales or anything. You know, so trying to build technique. His fingering's a little weird. But he's getting around, That's you know, great. and so yeah, the, yeah. yeah, and doing it by ear, you know. But he asked me to help him with the rest. Of it. So there's parts that get kind of hard. Sure, but, but I mean, it's out there. The tutorials. Seven year old. I mean, I'm gonna go slap my kids around right now. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> get to work. <laughs> yeah, put, put down Mario Brothers and start playing it on the piano. <laughs> right. It's uh, it's an amazing time, really. And yeah. It's um. What's what is what's left for you? Like, what do you want to do next? Do you have plans of something else you want to do? And do you get have some food? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> uh, take a nap. No, um, yeah, I, I, you know, 
I'm. I mean, I, I, I think ultimately I would like all of the aspects that I do. I, I, I just like to keep exploring. I mean, I guess at some point I want to feel like I've completed my, or I, I don't want to feel like I've completed because that that would be. A, that's not going to happen. B, it's it's not you know that's not fun. But um, I want to continue my journey in um, in just learning to play the keyboard better and stuff. Like I'm, mean, I'm totally happy just doing that. Um, and then you know I love recording and like composing and stuff. And so I don't know. As long as I'm like moving from project to project and still feeling like stoked, you know. The my favorite thing about music is. You know when you record something, and you're and it's like late at night in the studio, and you, you can't leave. You're like, no, one more time. And I never listen to things when I'm done, like almost ever. But that moment where you're like, ah, no, just one more time. I gotta hear that again. Yeah. Like you're just enthralled by every, the way everything works around each other, and like, yes. man, I just want to feel that. Yes. And not, you know, hopefully do all the things I'm supposed to do and keep the lights on and stuff and if that if I pull that off I'm it's pretty cool <laughs> would you consider I hear you um wow you make me feel good remembering that feeling you know um would you consider producing I do acts? produce yeah oh, you do yeah yeah do you select them yourself or do people come to you both you know whatever comes whatever happens and it doesn't know? matter what kind of act they are basically I'm open to everything I like I, mean, I like music so yeah do you record live like if a church choir called you or something would you go record them live yeah so uh and then like mix it down and uh -huh. give them a... i love mixing too yeah. yeah yeah i have a lot of fun toys at home so um yeah i mean it hasn't gotten old yeah like none of it and i still feel terrible about myself like in a good <laughs> way but you know like i still feel like i don't feel like i'm done Mm -hmm. You know, and, and it's weird because I remember meeting musicians when I was younger. That they, I felt that they felt done, mm -hmm. and maybe, I don't know, maybe they weren't. Maybe I just didn't know, but I just can't even see there. There's no end to the bottom of the bucket. You know, I just keep digging in. It's like, oh, there's another room, and there's another thing. You know, right? So I, yeah, I just want to do it. <laughs> Do you have a website or something that people could get in touch with you? Like if somebody's um, listening and they're like, I want Michael Kluster to like produce my record. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I guess I don't really have a website uh, per se. I was starting to work on one, but I mean, I have like a, an artist page on Facebook. Um, I need one, I guess. Well, you know, maybe yeah. you don't, but. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, it just might be that this, there's somebody that's listening and they're like, man, I want my record to sound kind of like, you know. I want a, key, a good person who hears keyboards. Right, right. And knows how to use keyboards, right? Yeah, yeah. And what to do with them. How to put the right effect on them. And, you know, exactly. Make them sound good in, in the space. Right. Between guitars and everything yep. else. And that's, you know, I always, I always go, uh, uh, you know, like paperback writer or uh, keyboard part writer. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what you are. And, um, you know, I definitely see keyboards for the most part, depends on what you're doing as a, like I like doing it last, because I like to know where my boundaries are, and where, it's, so I can know how to layer it on. That makes it sense. It really is a layer thing. Right. For the most part. Sometimes it's an early thing. Right. But, um. Kind of like the thing you mentioned with the uh, the Mohegan um, mm -hmm. 
layering it. Yep. Who plays quarter notes? Who plays eighth notes? Who plays yeah, I'm always notes? the eighth notes or the sixteenth notes. Right. <laughs> when in doubt. Yeah. Slide it up. You do drums and then bass and then guitar in that order, or like you said, do you do? Um, last? I mean, I don't really have a rule. Um, typically, I guess yeah. I mean, that's how you. If everything's going the way it should be and you build a house, I mean, that's the way I'd build a house naturally, you know. Right. Um, but, right. I mean, it really depends, though, because I guess with my music, or, or if you're somebody that plays keyboards, a lot of times it'll, some of the things will change. Sometimes the keyboard's the sole thing, and then I actually kind of treat other, I'll play guitar sometimes, but usually I'll have other people do it, but there will be the ornamental part, you know. Well, then maybe I'll be an extended ornamental part above their ornamental part, but I'll still be the, the root, you know. So it just depends, I guess. Gotcha. No rules, you gotcha. know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, one last question, and sure. I'll let you go have a life. <laughs> what are you listening to these days? Like, what's on your iPod? Um, do, do, do people even have iPods anymore? Um, what's on your Apple Music? I yeah, exactly. Your Spotify <laughs> list. Um, so, you know, I've been kind of dabbling with playing a little bit on Broadway, and um, I, I'm gonna. I am a true Californian. I I didn't really like country music. Um, I mean, like I like the old stuff, like everybody says, which is true. But um, have man, you been watching the Kim Burns documentary? I haven't watched it yet, and I plan to. Oh, I amazing. plan to. Yeah, um, I've got to say, I kind of fell in love. I did when I first got here. Uh, a friend of mine, Brad Lindsay, brought me in to uh, play with this guy, Sam. Oh, what was Sam's last name? Uh, uh, I'll come back to me in a second. Uh, but we did a residency at D's and we did like all 90s country. I love that place. Yeah, it's cool. I played um, there last week. I saw that. I tried to make it too. Oh, and um, I had something, I don't remember what it was, but yes, I was going to be, you were doing 60s stuff, a bunch of door stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, oh, I had a friend in town and I was I was trying to get uh, us to all go that way, but they wanted to go downtown or something like that. It's a really cool club. Yeah, yeah. It's got a nice vibe to it. But I, I learned these 90s country tunes, and I was just like, I mean, I had no idea, like, how awesome Dolly Parton was. Like, never in my life would I ever even thought I would repeat that sentence. And I was just like, <laughs> this stuff's amazing, you know? Like, so I've been kind of enjoying that, and I've been going back, and um, I'm kind of, like, charting all this stuff. Because I want to just have it, so if I do get called for a gig, I can just, okay, sure, no problem, I'll probably have it. Um, right. I prefer to use iRealBook. I like, I don't know if you screw with that at all, but um, do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Yeah, I, I like, it's a little bit of a pain in the butt to get the chart in, but once you got a chart in, you can change key and do whatever you want with it. Right. Look at it as numbers if you want, whatever. Um, uh, so I've been enjoying that. Um, you using an iPad with it? I do. I have it on all my devices, though. Okay. I use uh, iRealBook a lot. I practice jazz with it a lot. Gotcha. Change the tempos. They have this uh, mode conductor mode where like I'll go through blues and like every I'll basically do four choruses and then it'll go up I set it to a fourth that's what I like and it'll go up a fourth okay and it'll go up another fourth and you so just go all the way around the circle yeah awesome um, uh, so I've been I've been listening to that but I kind of like all the like you know the Wolf Peck stuff that's going on on the internet and stuff like that I think that a lot of that's entertaining to watch and impressive um, that band Foxygen I told you about um, there's a whole list of like weird indie bands that do retro 60s stuff. Um, this other one I've been, my son's kind of turning me on to a lot of this. So my son has really great music taste. Um, Babe Rainbow. <laughs> awesome. Heard of them. They're like kind of a surfy 
Oh, not cool. totally just. I love that name. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I, I, it's so weird to even say it, you know, but Babe Rimbo right now is like my favorite thing. Um, but I mean, I've got to say that a lot of times, you know, between making music um, and playing it, playing gigs and learning stuff, um, man, a lot of times when I'm done with all that and practicing, like I, I'm listening to like joe rogan podcast <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah try to take it a break i mean um, right there, there's, i hear you yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a few bands that are poking through that i really like but um i mean i i pretty much do music all day all the time so. gotcha but that but i'd say that going through these old song lists have been really fun for me that's my my ode to nashville is to learn this music and it's great yeah and explore it you know so yeah well, there's definitely a few, you know, incredible piano players that have come through. Oh, yeah. Over the years. Pig yeah. Robbins and all those. Um, Floyd Kramer. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you want to go back to that era. Yeah, that dynasty that Ken Bernstein, just for that, the whole Nashville thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Just that. It's really interesting. Yeah. The history, you know. And it's, you're right, it's like a lot of music, it's always guitar-based. And, like, there's a strong keyboard world even it's weird sometimes you're just you'll hear an old country song and just be some plinking on top mm-hmm. oh, it's yeah. still important you know oh yeah yeah and um, waiting for the second verse to actually do something <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah every once in a while they get a, a big feature like behind closed doors right you know the intro to that is such a blatant piano thing right but it's always just real tasteful yeah and uh i like that about um Nashville too is that there's a certain politeness and like to the plane you know that Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying it was like the opposite or anything I just never really thought about it much like really going to where do I fit in this and and, you know you do you have to do it and it's cool yeah I remember being at Roberts one time just marveling on the way that particular night they had like a, I think they had a slide player and a violinist or fiddleist. Sorry guys, don't <laughs> kick me out. Um, and and they were passing around solos. I mean, just the idea of that simple as song, they were just passing around solos. And it was like, just being amazed and how great they did it and how effortless and like smooth and mm-hmm. yeah. That's Listening a, to each other maybe. Yep. And, and trying to match the vibe and go into the, yep. yeah. It, it is. It's really cool. It's a band vibe. It is, and for I sure. And I love that. Yeah. I, um, I always love to play with other people. Yeah. It's just the energy that you can get from that. What about you? You do, you got some projects and whatnot? Well, I'm playing for a rock opera, an original okay. rock opera right now. That's cool. That's, that's sort of the biggest thing I'm doing in Nashville okay. right now. When and where is that? I would go to that. Yeah. I Well, as soon as I know, I'll let you know. Okay. Um, I'm sure you'll post it. It's... And- we're well. The band is rehearsed, and we know the songs. But it's um, you have to hire singers to do this, right? And that that is a little bit more challenging, right. scheduling wise. Yeah. Because so many of them are in the theater world, and that they get involved in a show, and then they're gone for the next seven or eight weeks. Right. So you know, uh, we're talking about how you know logistically to do this as I mean, do we should we do it as a show or right? Uh, should we start like doing a one night a week? Is cool it all, I mean, obviously already written, and mm-hmm, yeah. there's a story, and all Yeah, that. Okay. it's written by this woman. Her name's Price Jones. She okay. wrote it like 20 years ago, hmm. and 
um, she was trying to decide if she wanted to go to Florida and live or like put on this rock opera. And she chose the rock opera, which is so awesome. Did she ever and play it? Did it ever get performed as a show? No. Okay. She just kind of kept it and right. like wrote it in like two weeks. Like it was like this, you know, divine inspiration that just came out of thin air back in back in the day. And she so she started to get it recorded. She was really unhappy with the way the recordings were going at the time. Right. So just shelved it. And then like a year and a half ago just built a studio like thinking if I build it people will come <laughs> and then like slowly put the band together you know mm. and she bought a C3 for her for the studio so wow. every time I walk in there C3 I there. get to play and do uh, you know Murph Wanka yeah. he's Nashville Pro Hammond uh-huh. so he outfitted the organ with a distortion pedal okay. and a pedal um, yeah. output you know and uh, so I can sound like uh, Keith Emerson. I mean, nice. try you know try so to emulate that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah, it's pretty heavy. Okay, at, at times, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. mm-hmm. I would love to see that Kansasy kind of stuff. Right, and, I love Kansas. Yeah. See, I as I told you, I play. I'm a little crazy on stage, you know, and like one of my friends, like, dude, have you watched Kansas? I'm like, not really. I, I was never like that into him, but I watched that guy. And I was like, that's you, dude. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. Because he's a nut. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's pretty cool. I like to be really up, too. I like I like to stand at the organ. I, I play I in too. better rhythm. I, I stand when I play piano, unless it's like a, a ballad, and I really need to, like, you know, drop my right. arms and really. I like, you know, I played standing up with Smash Mouth, but I, I like sitting down because it gives me better access to my feet. I, I like to, my feet, but I... I still play as animated sitting down as I do standing up. I can't help it. It's just who I am. But, like, I mean, you can stomp like crazy and all that stuff, you know. But I do like to sit a little bit high. Me too. And that Me way too. it's it can kind of become standing if I want. And I like to sort of have... Like, I like playing piano like this, but I tend to do that bad posture stuff. And, like, I like to be sort of a little bit coming down. I'm trying to think how to describe to them... What angle you're describing? It's it's about a I don't know. You're the mathematician here. Yeah. Thirty percent angle. I don't know. Ah, fifteen degrees. Fifteen degrees. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't so really angle my seat, but I like. Yeah, I like to feel like I'm, like the stool, like a somewhere between a seat and a stool. Right. And the keyboard be right in the middle of that. Right. Yeah. Well, man, is there anything else you want to? Mention or promote. That's pretty, <laughs> pretty easy and fun, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it's like uh, time really flies for me when I'm talking to you guys. It? It's like three twenty. Oh wow! Yeah. Because it's um, I mean, it's just so valuable to um, I, I always have you know ideas from from talking with yeah. other keyboard players on something I can work on or something sure. I can think about, um, and you know enriches my playing um, and and my concept of music overall. I mean, it's just. We're so lucky. Yeah. I feel like it's yeah. a great. It's a great career. I'm glad I picked it. With, yeah. Even with all the uh, <laughs> exhaustion and uh, sure. stress that has come with it at times. Yep, yep. It can be very stressful. I mean, people don't realize how much time you spend. You know, I have my first theory teacher said. He said that being a music major and in music career, it doesn't really matter. But he was talking about being a music major. It's, he says it has the workload of being a doctor without the the payoff in the end or could, you know, whatever. But, I mean, it's like you got to literally do it for love, and it's that hard. And he was right. I mean, I'm always doing stuff. Yes. And, like, half of it is 
for free or in preparation for the thing or, you know, even if you're doing like, you know, you want to do the Soul Jam, like, getting paid for that, but you're going to get together with all these great musicians, you're not going to suck, you know, you're going to, and you want to give it, that's what I meant earlier is that you kind of have to work hard no matter what because yes. why do you even do it, you know? Right. Yeah, and so there's just, it's, it's such a, a labor of love that it can, it, it'll weigh you, It'll weed out anybody that doesn't do it for the love because they won't last. Right. Or they can go do it as a hobby, which is fine, you know. But, I mean, if you really are like, man, I can't get enough of this stuff, you know. I always trip when I meet musicians that are more intense than me. And I'm like, whoa, oh, i got to step it up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> like, this guy really loves music. I thought I love music. <laughs> Real. Yeah. Yes. That's a great way to put it. It's... it's it's an ass kicking in the best kind of way. Yeah, yeah. It just you could they, you could tell they. It's not just about them knowing stuff because it's their job. It's like you could tell they're like up at night just watching it on YouTube or like they're just obsessed mm-hmm. with it in one one way or another. And like, yeah, that's pretty pretty yeah. rad. It's fun to play with those. They're the best yeah. <laughs> to play with. Yeah, and then you when you have those other level discussions like. Uh, you know, I have a lot of discussions, like producing bands about music, the philosophy of music of making it, whatever, stuff. And then sometimes you'll get with some musician and you're like, you're like, yeah, I've had this conversation, but this is like the seven levels we were talking about. This is another graduated level up to this discussion. It's like the things that you noticed. I didn't know anybody noticed that but me, like kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, man. And you could just... Get higher and higher with that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Right. All of a sudden you notice then that you're doing something that you did just a little bit better than you did. Yep. Yeah. It really does. It elevates yeah. somehow. Yeah, that's great. That's what the podcast is for me. And hopefully, you know, for lots of people listening. Yeah. That have a, I mean, like I can think of something that everyone of my guests has said that has been important to hear right I, you know I need to do a show where I list each one of those yeah or like come up with some you know what would be cool is do a group podcast that would be and like have a group discussion yeah oh, that would be so kind fun let it fly where it flies that would know? be hilarious yeah maybe we'll do that yeah. like at the end of the season I have to ask everybody who was on to come back and yeah. just talk about you know I'm thinking of um, you know William Link and me have discussed on occasion like kind of getting together because he likes cooking and Larry too and like us all getting together and having a keyboard day and thinking maybe at my house at some point and like and I have a birthday in January maybe I'll throw a like a keyboard jam day oh gosh we'll eat and play and you know maybe but maybe we could do the podcast oh that'd be there great too, you know that would be great yeah. it'd, it'd be hilarious I'll be just dying Larry made me laugh so much throughout the entire time I spent with him. I just he just kept me rolling. Yeah. He's, I haven't heard that one yet. I bet you it's great. Oh, he's a hilarious guy. So many great stories. Yeah. He he does, man. He he's really done it. I love seeing those pictures of him too, like thirty years ago. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know when you know somebody you just think of them as who you know them as. You go, Oh yeah, you were twenty five, man. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's such a great player too. So are you. Oh, like, he, he is. I really like watching you play. Um, you have a. I could. Both of you guys are like people that I feel like this has always been something that 
challenging to me or I don't really feel that I've fully done is like dotting your I's and crossing your T's playing. Like we're smooth out your edges, all your your ends of your solos are all right. And never, I don't know. That's uh, very impressive to me. Well, he and I, he was in the cover band, the house band at the Starlight or Stardust. I can't remember what it's called. And I was at the Executive Inn in Bowling Green. Okay. We used to call it the Starlight North. Right. You know, because, uh, and so he and I have played, you know, so many songs and done, it's it's a, um, it's just years and years of gigs every night. Right. Basically. So, oh, I hear a student knocking at the well, door. Well, there you go. That's a great, <laughs> so, great place to stop. So anyway, we will continue this in January at your birthday, maybe. Yeah, let's do that. So, uh, thank you so much thank for being you. here. Thank you for having me. Uh, I've, it was great. Good. So, I'm glad. Uh, take care and hope to see you Nashville again Nashville traffic, here I come. Tell my tale